You're listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Visit our website and learn more about Harvest Partners at harvest.org. If I say I believe something, it should impact me in the way that I live. And if it does not impact me in the way that I live, do I really believe it? Pastor Greg Laurie says, when it comes to the judgment our friends and family members may be facing, what are we doing to prevent it? I say I believe there's a heaven and a hell. If that is the case, why would I not want to leave my comfort zone and enter into someone else's world and engage them with the gospel? This is the What would you say are believers in this country? Wild guess. Well, let's be extra generous and say half, 50%. If that's true, then the other 50% are in danger of facing judgment. They're in danger of dying in their sins. Now, God forbid, if the CDC announced another virus was coming that could kill half the population, well, that would be all we'd talk about. But this eternal danger is rarely discussed. Today on A New Beginning is Pastor Greg Laurie's focus. All right, let's grab our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And the title of my message is Three of the Hardest Words to Say. Heard about a man named John who was in the hospital. He was very sick. In fact, uh, he had an oxygen mask on. He really couldn't even talk. So the pastor was called out and John was a believer. And so the pastor went to encourage John and uh, and as the pastor was with them, uh, John's breathing grew more labored. The pastor was concerned. And so the pastor dropped to one knee and began to fervently pray that God would help John. And suddenly John was gesturing wildly, wildly. He needed a piece of paper and a pen, waving, gesturing for paper and a pen. The pastor grabbed a piece of paper, gave him a pen, and John wrote something down and then died, sadly. And the pastor took the note of John's last words with him, put it in his coat pocket, and a few days later they were doing John's memorial service. And the pastor remembered he still had that note, and he never took the time to open it and read what John's last words were. So he went out to the people gathered for John's service and said, I know that we all love John, and he always had an inspiring word to say, and uh, I happen to have his last words here that he wrote to me. And then here are the last words of John. Pastor, you're standing on my oxygen tube. But you know, one day we will give our last words, our last statement. It could be in a hospital bed. It could be uh, at a meal or, or some other place. And we don't know they are our last words. It might be when we're having a conversation with someone and suddenly Jesus calls us home to heaven in the rapture of the church. We talked about that last time. So we don't know when it's going to happen. But just for the sake of a point, let's pretend we did. Now I know no one knows the day of the hour when Christ will come back. But for the sake of a point, let's pretend we did know the day of the hour. Let's pretend that it was revealed to us somehow that Jesus was going to return on December 25th of this year. 
Christ is going to return on Christmas Day. So wow, you, you could count it down. In fact, when you started seeing Christmas decorations in the stores, what is it, in August now, usually? And it's like, oh, it's getting closer. Christmas is close, but the coming of the Lord is close as well. Now let me ask you a question. Would you live any differently than you're living right now if you knew He was coming back that soon? If you were living sinfully, would you continue to live sinfully? If you were complacent as a Christian, would you kick it into gear? Some would say, yeah, probably late November, I think. No, really? Hey, if you weren't a Christian, would you become a Christian? Well, I think it would impact you and the way that you live. Now, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. He could come back on December 25th. He could come back on August 25th. We don't know when He's gonna come, but we need to always be ready and live in anticipation of that. It was Martin Luther who said, and I quote, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. This day and that day, the day before me and that day, the day of the Lord, and one day he will come back. Well, we're now in Daniel 9, and this is a story where the prophet is reading the scripture, and a certain passage just jumps off the page for him. Have you ever had that happen to you where you're, you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden a verse or a series of verses just come alive and speak directly to the situation that you're facing in that given moment? Or maybe it's in a message, just something is said, it's almost as though it were scripted for you. That's what happened to Daniel. Now Daniel didn't have a Bible like we have. Uh, that was still being put together at this point. But he had a scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. So as he's reading through Jeremiah, it suddenly occurs to the prophet Daniel that this prophecy that Jeremiah gave is happening in real time. The prophecy Jeremiah gave is happening in Daniel's lifetime. He's gonna literally see the fulfillment of a prediction that Jeremiah made and it impacted Daniel and he experienced a personal revival. So if you want a personal revival, listen very carefully to what happened. Let's read it together. Daniel 9, starting at verse two. I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him with prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. We'll stop there. So what's the background of this? Israel is living in Babylon. They're captives there because they kept turning to false idols and false gods. They were warned by prophets like Jeremiah and others to turn from this rampant idolatry or a time of judgment would come upon them but they ignored it and blew it off and finally that judgment came and Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and conquered Israel and took them back to Babylon. So they had been now in Babylon for 69 years and Daniel realizes, wait, God said 70 years. He counts. He counts it back. And he says, we've been here 69 years. That means we're getting out of here in one year. This prophecy is gonna be fulfilled in my 
lifetime. Now I'm sure that as he read through Jeremiah, he read this very familiar passage, Jeremiah 29, where the Lord says, Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And then the Lord says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Recognize that verse? Jeremiah 29, 11. So the context of that statement is God is speaking to the Jewish people living in Babylon as captives. God's saying you're gonna go back home to Jerusalem again. And by the way, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Some would say, well, that only applies to Israel. Doesn't have any application to us. I beg to differ. In principle, it does apply to us because maybe you're in a Babylon of sorts right now. Life is not going the way you hoped it would go. Your situation has actually gone from bad to worse. You don't know if it's ever gonna improve. So I have good news for you. Better days are ahead for you. I am certain of this. Now some of you are saying, well how do you know? It might get worse. Yeah, it might. I'll acknowledge that. But ultimately, better days are ahead. Why do I say that? Because Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. Right? And you know what that says. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God. Now they're called according to His purpose. What I'm saying to you is ultimately God is gonna work out whatever you're going through for your good and His glory. Let me say that again. Ultimately, I didn't say immediately. Ultimately, God is gonna work out whatever you're going through for your good and for His glory. And the better days ahead, I am certain of, are the days of heaven. And the days when we'll be in the presence of the Lord. So it is going to get better. So Daniel, understandably, was deeply moved by this discovery. And in the same way, our hearts should also be moved when we read certain things. Let me take a quick poll. How many of you believe the afterlife is real? Raise your hand up. You believe the afterlife is real. How many of you believe there really is a heaven and a hell? Raise up your hand. How many of you believe that Jesus could come back in your lifetime? Raise up your hand. All right, one more thing. How many of you shared the gospel with someone this week? Raise up your hand. Okay, some of you, quite a few of you, God bless you. But not all of us. And the reason I bring this up is because there's cause and effect, you see. If I say I believe something, it should impact me in the way that I live. And if it does not impact me in the way that I live, do I really believe it? I mean, I say I believe in the afterlife. I say I believe there's a heaven and a hell. If that is the case, why would I not want to leave my comfort zone and enter into someone else's world and engage them with the gospel? So we should take tangible steps if we believe these things to be true. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. I don't know if you know about this, but we have a weekend service called Harvest at Home, exclusively for people that are tuning in literally from around the world. Listen to this. We even have harvest groups where you can get into a small group with folks from all around this planet of ours and study the Word of God. So join us this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, for Harvest at Home 
at harvest.org. Well, we're in the book of Daniel today for Pastor Greg's message called Three of the Hardest Words to Say. Let's continue. Now here's Daniel. He understands that the reason they're in Babylon is because of their sin. He admits that they brought this on themselves. So here's now what Daniel does that brought personal revival in his life. And if you're taking notes, here's point number one. We have to admit we're part of the problem. Again, we have to admit we're part of the problem. Look at Daniel 9 verse 7. Lord, says Daniel, you're in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far. For you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We'll stop there. So he owns it. Notice in verse seven he says we're covered with shame. You know what, this seems to be something that's really lacking in American culture today, shame. You know we celebrate the things we used to be ashamed of. Everything is upside down. Uh, Right is wrong, wrong is right. The Bible says woe to those who say evil is good and good is evil and dark is light and uh, light is dark, and bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. It seems like no one wants to be held accountable for their actions anymore, because now we're a nation of victims. It's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And we have no shame over things that we do when they're wrong. I read an interesting article uh, from Teen Vogue. By the way, I don't subscribe to Teen Vogue. I want you to know. (laughs) And I hope you don't either. And I hope your children don't. And you'll understand why I say that when you hear what they had in this article. It was an op-ed, and it's an article about some activists who want to use art, quote, to raise awareness about the erosion of reproductive rights. But their emphasis is on humor, and their message is, yes, abortion can be funny. Really? Is that where we're at now? Abortion can be funny? Taking the life of an innocent, unborn children is to some people funny. Yeah, that's the culture we're living in right now. It just seems like we keep moving the goalposts and it gets worse and worse. And when you think it can't get any worse, it gets a little worse. And I think we get jaded by the barrage of social media we're exposed to every single day. As one writer said, quote, from violence glorifying graphics on the big screen, to incessant headlines of perversion on our news feed, to the latest appalling video on our cell phone, we have become accustomed to the extreme, to the twisted, to carnage, and to gore." End quote. Very true. The Bible warns that we can lose our sensitivity in Ephesians 4.13. The Bible warns that you can have your conscience seared as with a hot iron. But the good news is, is Christ can resensitize your conscience. I was with Billy Graham years ago in Portland, Oregon, of all places. Ever see that TV show, Portlandia? You know, they're very liberal in Portland. Uh, not, not a church-going city, shall we say. And Billy had one of his best crusades I've ever seen. 
uh, in that city and thousands were in attendance and thousands coming to Christ. It was incredible. So uh, on the last night we're driving out. I was in the car with him and uh, as we're pulling out uh, he was in the back seat and I was in the front seat and I wanted to compliment him so I turned around over the seat and I said, Billy, that was a great message tonight. I loved your point when you said Christ can resensitize your conscience. Billy looked at me and said, well he can. I know. I was just trying to compliment him. But I found out Billy didn't really like to be complimented all that much. Which is kind of a good thing, isn't it? But you know, I think the point was really true. Christ can resensitize a conscience. If you get jaded, if you get hardened, you need your conscience resensitized. You say, how can that happen? Very simple. Just start by spending as much time in God's Word as you spend on social media. Just start there. I'm not gonna get into binge watching stuff on Netflix and all the other things we do, all the television. Not gonna get into any of that. I'm gonna just start with social media. If you spend as much time taking in God's Word as you spend on social media, it would probably bring a spiritual revival to you. Because some people live on their cell phones, right? They look at them constantly. I need a cell phone for a prop. Who has a cell phone? I'll give it back to you. Oh wait, you're getting a text? Still listening to that stupid preacher? Who is this? No. No, so we have the cell phone. And we carry it with us everywhere. It's almost like it's attached to our hand, right? Just cell phone. Have the cell phone. And every time it buzzes, it's like, Oh, I got a text. Someone just updated their Instagram. Oh, there's something new on the news. So we carry it with us. And so we're standing in line uh, and we look at it. Never forget talking to someone, just stare at it. And then we cross intersections now. Have you noticed this? People will go across intersections. Now granted, they have the green light, but there are cars everywhere. People sometimes run red lights, right? And they're just walking across the thing like this, just looking, I'm like, are you insane? You see somebody swerve out of their lane, they're either drunk or they're on a cell phone. So we're really attached to these cell phones of ours. And then, oh man, when you forget your cell phone, has that ever happened to you? You're like three blocks from your house and you realize, I left my cell phone at home. Ah, ah, ah. You're going through withdrawals, you're shaking, you're shaking. You turn the car around, you grab, ah, 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 ah. When I say getting the Word of God in your life, I mean, yes, reading it, but listening to it. You can get the Bible on audio and then listening to worship music and listening to good Bible teaching. Just getting God's truth in your life. If you would just start by getting as much of this in your life as you spend on getting that into your life, I'm telling you, it would turn you around. So number one, he, he accepted responsibility for what he did. Number two, God is right. And if we don't agree with it, we are wrong. How's that for a blunt point? No delicacy there. God is right, and if we don't agree with Him, we are wrong. I was doing a Q&A one time and someone asked me the question, what do you do when you come to a Bible verse you don't agree with? I said, change your opinion. You're wrong. <laughs> now sometimes we don't understand Bible verses. And it helps that someone can explain what it means contextually or from original languages or whatever. But the point is, let God be 
true and every man a liar. The scripture says this is a standard we measure all other truth by. Doesn't matter if you agree with it or not. Okay, so that brings me down to the three hardest words to say. What do you think they are? The three hardest words to say. Ready? Write them down. No more dessert. No, that's not them. <laughs> that's not them. Uh, the three hardest words to say. I have sinned. Oh, those are hard. Oh, I can say you have sinned. Sometimes I can even say we, in a broad sense, in our own way, but me not as much as you, have sinned. But for me to say I have sinned, those are hard words to say. But Daniel said them. Verse five, but we have sinned and done wrong. We've rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. Now you know this is interesting because Daniel did not excuse himself or point a finger at others. Uh, yet as you study the life of Daniel, can you really find an instance where Daniel sinned? Now I know he did because he's part of the same race we're part of. But yet there's no illustration of it. Now David's life, oh yeah. Simon Peter's life, yep. Samson, oh yeah, lots of sins. Daniel's life, I can't really find one. I mean, Daniel, he, he was so godly. You know, not eating at the king's table because he saw it as a compromise, probably because the food was offered to idols. Daniel speaking truth to power to King Belshazzar, to King Nebuchadnezzar, to King Darius. He was not intimidated by anyone. Daniel, who still got down on his knees and prayed when a law was passed that no one could pray to any God for the next 30 days. Yeah, but he said, we have sinned. So he knew he was culpable. He knew that he was responsible as well. So we'll say, well, yes, you know, but I don't really know that I've sinned. Well, look, when we say sin, there's a lot of things that meet that standard. Don't forget, sin not only means to cross a line, it also means to miss a mark. So I might say, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sinning like them in immorality or stealing or lying. How about harboring unforgiveness? You know, I'll pride myself in the fact, man, I'm so spiritual. I love God so much. I love God more than anyone around me. And that person over there, I hate their guts. <laughs> oh, really? That's sin, my friend. And here's what Jesus said about things like that. He said to each of us, if we do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is not saying we must forgive in order to be forgiven. Really what he is saying is if you understand anything of the forgiveness of God, you of all people, I of all people, should be a forgiving person. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. And if you're not a forgiving person, you need to know more about forgiveness. That can be sin as well. As I've told you before, there are sins of commission, breaking laws and committing transgressions, but there are sins of omission, not doing what God has called me to do. So this is very important. Today on A New Beginning, we're learning some important lessons from our studies in Daniel, not only about Bible prophecy, but also about the practical matters of the Christian life. Pastor Greg Laurie will have more of his message called Three of the Hardest Words to Say. 
In a new DVD called The Jesus Music, you'll see how Jesus Music grew out of the Jesus Movement. Editor of CCM Magazine, John Still. In Southern California, there was a church called Calvary Chapel that let disillusioned young people come in. And it seems silly now, but back then to go to church in jeans or barefoot was kind of revolutionary that they would not only let you in, but encourage you and not look funny at you. Hippies started accepting Jesus. And it gave birth to this whole new kind of music, Michael W. Smith. This thing called Jesus music somehow found its way in my hometown. Changed my life. You know, we take all those things for granted now. Seeing a preacher wearing blue jeans today is no big deal. Seeing a drum kit on a stage or amplifiers, we're used to it. Heck, we even have fog machines now and (laughs) all kinds of lighting systems and all the screens and all the things that we use. But it wasn't always this way, folks. So in 1970, the church was still overall very traditional. Uh, In many churches, you'd find an organ on one side of the stage, a piano at the other, and the songs were hymns. And occasionally, maybe there would be a folk version on an acoustic guitar of a song. But Jesus' music was different. It was born out of a revival in the hearts of young musicians who had been radically transformed by Christ and wanted to speak to their culture with their tools that they knew best, which was Music. So all these bands started forming and they created what is probably the first actual Jesus music record, which was the Everlasting Living Waters Jesus Music Festival. Is that what it was called, David? Had a lot of words in it. Then most people know it as Maranatha One. It had a white cover, big red design of a dove. And, and that was kind of the beginning. There were other artists out there like Larry Norman that were breaking ground and even Andre Crouch and the Disciples and others. But this one single album, in many ways, was the first of many waves that were to follow. Now, today we call it contemporary Christian music. We have great stations across the country that play this music for us all day and night long, and I'm so thankful for it. But it started out in revival. And we want to tell you this story. It's all found in this brand new documentary film produced by the Irwin Brothers, who also directed, I can only imagine, I still believe, also Steve McQueen, uh, The Salvation of an American Icon, and the new feature film that will come out next year called Jesus Revolution. But the Jesus music tells a powerful story that will move your heart and it will also educate you as well. So we want to send this to you for your gift of any size. It's going to be in DVD and Blu-ray, and downloadable so you can watch it on your phone or your tablet or your computer. And you can show it to your friends and enjoy it for years to come. So let us send you a copy of the Jesus Music for your gift of any size. And thank you in advance for what you can send because we'll put it to good use to continue to teach the Word of God and preach the gospel. That's what we do here at A New Beginning and at Harvest Ministries. Yeah, that's right. And your investments are so much appreciated and so helpful right now. Would you let us send you this new film, The Jesus Music? We'll send it to say thank you for your investment. So just give us a call at 1-800-821-3300. You can reach us anytime at 1-800-821-3300 or go online to harvest.org. We'll hope you'll tune in again next time 
Pastor Gray continues this message from Daniel 8 called Three of the Hardest Words to Say. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.